1: Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
2: Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. I am currently sitting here in Maryland. By the skin of my teeth, honestly, this has been the most stressful travel day. I got to Penn Station in New York to take the train home, only to realize that I left my entire wallet, like my cards, everything back in my apartment downtown. So luckily, I always get to the train station early, not because of this, usually because I like to browse the books and like get a coffee and be like all relaxed and chill before I get on my train. I'm not rushing to get there, but this like crossed my mind. I was like, oh my God, I did not bring my entire wallet, which means I don't have my ID. I don't have any of my cards. I have Apple Pay, but I don't have my ID, so I can't buy alcohol. I can't. (laughs) That was my first thought. I can't buy alcohol. I knew I was having a wine night tonight with my friends from home, so I was like, oh my God, I can't buy wine. (laughs) But I was also like, wait, I'm getting my booster also, and I need my ID to get my booster shot of the, the vaccine, so I'm like, oh my God, I need to go home. So I skirted on out of there, I called a cab, hailed a cab, whatever you say, and got Back to my apartment, sprinted up my stairs, was out of breath, grabbed my wallet, left again, called another cab, got to Penn Station literally, guys, a minute before my train left. Like I made it on the train, but barely. (laughs) I swear I can't travel without at least a little bit of chaos. There's always some chaos involved. But we're here, we made it to Maryland. I'm sitting here recording an episode for you guys. It's gonna go live tomorrow on Christmas Eve, Eve? Yeah, Christmas Eve, Eve is tomorrow, is Thursday. So the day that you guys are listening to this or the day it's released at least. Released at least, am I okay? Um, Anyway, chaos has subsided, I had my coffee. I feel like everything is great, (laughs) we're good. I have an awesome subject to discuss today. Which I'm actually really excited about. I thought of this actually a few nights ago. I don't know why I thought about it. I guess I was reading something and I was like, wait, female orgasms. Crazy. (laughs) I was like, wait a second. Like all these thoughts, wrote it down in the note section of my phone. I think I had a few glasses of wine before thinking about this. So it was in this list that I have. I have this running list of podcast ideas. And it was just sitting there, okay, chilling in this list. And last night I was packing to come home here to Maryland, was just packing my suitcase, trying on everything in my closet, you know, doing the thing. Had on some TV as like background noise and my choice for last night. I always just put on shows that I've seen before just as background noise while I'm doing things. Like I love doing that. Sex and the City is one of them I always have on or Seinfeld. Last night I decided to do Seinfeld and I was on like season three or something. I believe it was the first episode Of season three, or one of those early seasons when they discuss faking it and like faking orgasms. That's the whole premise of the episode is the guys realizing that for so many years, the women they've slept with may or may not have actually orgasmed. They could have just put on a show and they like reach this crushing realization that they might not be as good in bed as they thought they were because women are so convincing with faking orgasms. And the women they were asking were like, yeah, of course I fake orgasms. I've done it before. Like it's easy to do it. And they were just baffled by this. So I'm watching this while I'm packing my suitcase and I'm like the female orgasm, here it is again popping into my thought process And I'm like, I should do an episode on this. So here we are, an especially sexy episode of Thick and Thin. We are discussing the female orgasm because it's kind of, it's less of a unicorn these days than it used to be, I feel. But it is one of those things that does baffle a lot of people, even very smart people, even biologists, because, okay, we know why the male orgasm is important because it results in fertilizing a woman's egg and causing her to become pregnant. But why is it that women can orgasm? Isn't it a bit unnecessary in terms of evolution and creating offspring? It's not totally necessary because obviously we know a woman's orgasm isn't required for pregnancy. And for many people, that was the primary reason to have sex. Obviously, you know, for religious people, It does say in the Bible that sex is meant to be not only procreation focused, but also, you know, joyful, intimate, whatever. But procreation was really important, especially in like arranged marriages of ancient times. Obviously, they were having sex for a reason to produce a child. So, why does the female orgasm exist? It's kind of like having tonsils like do we need tonsils to survive and repopulate? no they're just they're just there <laughs> They're not really helping us in any way In a lot of situations they actually hurt us my sister just got hers removed because they've been giving her like all sorts of infections. Gross. Okay. Carrying on. (laughs) Of course, though, biologists have their theories. Nothing has been confirmed, but I do want to share a couple of theories that I thought are super interesting and really have stuck with me, honestly, after reading about them. So one theory, because sexual activity encourages reproduction, obviously you can't have reproduction without sexual activity of some kind. Obviously now we have a lot of different options, but Because sexual activity encourages reproduction, it can be argued that the female orgasm appeared to increase sexual activity, therefore increasing reproduction, saving a species maybe if said species had low reproductive rates. It kind of sped evolution forward and just, it was an incentive of sorts. Orgasm was essentially an incentive for humans to keep having sex. It was that like juicy little fun thing that happened for both parties involved and made them want to continue to have sex. (laughs) That's just one theory. It kind of evolved like it was a, a feature that became available to humans to encourage them to keep reproducing, in short. Another theory that biologists hold is that female orgasm was something left behind as the human species evolved away from our much hairier and more animalistic ancestors. And here's what they think. So in some species like cats and rabbits, physical stimulation is required to prompt the egg to be released in reproduction. And this is called induced ovulation. But in humans, as we know, ovulation occurs spontaneously. So without stimulation, often on a regular cycle, many of us with periods out there understand this concept. The full study I'm discussing here actually will be linked in the show notes because it's much larger. But the author of the study said this, spontaneous ovulation, so how things are for us now with our cycles and all that, likely evolved in the last common ancestor so of primates and rodents. So primates and rodents, the last common ancestor, had this ability and it kind of stuck with us. So this last common ancestor must have evolved from induced ovulation So needing that physical stimulation, aka orgasm, to release the egg to our now spontaneous ovulation, but that ability for females to orgasm that was essential in the other phase stuck around with us, even though we don't need it, like for mysterious reasons, kind of like a happy accident, even though it was not totally necessary for ovulation, because as we know, you don't need to, as a woman, you don't need to orgasm to get pregnant does that make sense? That was a lot of information, but when I read it, it, something just like clicked in my brain. I'm like, I have to share that. Anyway, okay. <laughs> so this episode, guys, I'm going to get into some real meat in a little bit. This episode comes as a great follow-up, I will say, to my episode on the history of birth control because to no surprise, guys, it's taken us quite a while to get to the real root and the truth. Behind the female orgasm as far as public opinion and research and taboos are concerned. It was a unicorn of sorts to people up until like the 70s. And still to this day, it's such a taboo subject that many shy away from simply because they are embarrassed. Even when people are under the covers, literally naked with their significant others, they are too embarrassed to talk about it. So they fake it like in the Seinfeld episode and in Sex in the City and so many articles that I've read about faking orgasms and what to do if your husband or boyfriend or girlfriend is not pleasuring you in the right way, what do you do? So much surrounding this orgasm situation, this this conversation that just like is not happening enough because people are being led to believe that they're crazy for not experiencing an orgasm from sexual intercourse of the traditional sort. So many things, it's a huge elephant in the room, I feel, that we need to talk about. And the first place to start is the history surrounding it. You can host the best backyard barbecue.
1: When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com, that's A-N-G-I.com.
2: I, in many areas of my life, you guys know, I've just received so much clarity in things moving forward because I stopped long enough to understand why things are the way they are in the form of history. I think history is the answer to unlocking the future, not because history repeats itself necessarily, it does in some in some ways, but I think it fully understanding something is the first step to changing that thing, changing the stigma or the stereotype and moving forward as a human species. That is my belief. So, anyway, <laughs> let's get into it. According to a book appropriately titled O, the average man or woman will spend 20 seconds a week in orgasm, which is around 12 minutes a year or 10 hours a typical lifetime. So for something that takes up such little time in the grand scheme of our human lives and existence, it's become such a huge area of interest over the years and a huge economic interest as well in the form of gadgets toys an entire industry books plays all sorts of things the human orgasm has generated quite a lot of buzz over the years pun intended because vibrators obviously because okay let's be real there is one thing that is truly better than sex sex with an orgasm because the two are not always mutually inclusive. Orgasms are not always guaranteed for a multitude of reasons, but it's actually quite interesting, the whole history surrounding public opinion specifically on the cultural implications of female orgasm, talking about it openly, and about when the technologies emerged, like vibrators, etc., how, how it impacted society and what did people think about this. Like, when did people finally wake up and realize, oh, women having orgasms is important? (laughs) It's not just this oops from evolution. It's maybe something that should be looked into, should be encouraged. Female pleasure is important, just as important as men, as male pleasure, sorry. Anyway, So let's get into it. Let's get into all of the interesting little tidbits I found on the matter of the female orgasm. Quick little trigger warning though, before I get started, I do briefly discuss a note about rape and non-consensual sex. So beware. All right, let's go back to the middle ages in Europe where a lot of my stories tend to begin. (laughs) It's an interesting time period. I've done quite a lot of research on in the past like few years of having this podcast, I've never known more about the Middle Ages than I do now. Anyway, this time period spanned from 476 AD to 14th century, so roughly a thousand years. And shockingly, in medieval times, they placed much more importance on the female orgasm than the people who would come after them in the Victorian period. I found this super interesting. So the Victorian period happened between 1820 and 1901. And like I said, medieval times was 476 AD to 14th century. So how was it that medieval people who literally thought animals could be criminals and put on trial, people who thought evil spirits hid inside of Brussels sprouts and gladiators' blood could cure epilepsy, these people were more advanced in terms of understanding a woman's Anatomy and orgasm than people who would be born centuries after them. It's just wild. But it will make a bit more sense when I tell you the reason why medieval men wanted their wives to orgasm, why it was deemed essential. There was this medieval belief that women had to orgasm in order to become pregnant. And for many, many reasons, you can probably assume without me even saying it, husbands wanted their wives to become pregnant to carry on the family line, to bear sons, to make themselves useful. So they worked to make sure their wife climaxed during sex. But tragically, this belief that a woman had to come in order to produce a child, had to orgasm, led to some pretty fucked up laws. It became a law that if a woman got pregnant from what she claimed was rape, she could legally not be deemed to have been raped because she must have orgasmed during the act because she got pregnant, a.k.a. she must have enjoyed it. So it clearly was consensual. Horrible. So horrible. There was this book published in 1814. A man named Samuel Farr wrote in this book, which was called Elements of Medical Jurisprudence, jurisprudence meaning legal theory, stated without the enjoyment of pleasure... No conception can take place. So conception only happened if a woman was pleasured and enjoyed the experience. Crazy, crazy thinking. Like men at this time thought that women held their own seeds that needed to be produced, like that a woman's orgasm was like an essential part of the recipe to creating a child, I don't know why they thought this. They just did, and so that is why they focused on it, not because it was pleasurable really to them. It was more so because it would produce a child, which is, you know, kind of sad, but at least at least medieval women were <laughs> were having some fun. Anyway, so this brings us to the Victorian era over in the UK. So the introduction of something just baffling but not at all surprising. A woman being crazy for just being a woman. And having hormones. A Victorian doctor named Pierre Briquette, I don't even care if that's how you say his last name because I don't like him. Pierre discovered that a quarter of women suffered from this condition called hysteria. And there had been some mentions of this so called hysteria in earlier time periods, like Greek philosopher Plato writing that hysteria was caused by women not having children, stating that a childless womb would become distressed and move throughout the body, causing health problems. So that the womb was like a moving thing that would target specific areas in the body and cause a woman to go insane. This was back in 2000 BC. But Pierre was one of the first to come up with treatment for this hysteria. I like hate that he called it hysteria, but honestly his methods for solving it are just hilarious because you're going to die when you hear what the symptoms and the treatment for this so-called medical condition were. So the symptoms included sexual desire and excessive vaginal lubrication, a.k.a. normal functions of female sex hormones. So essentially this normal, very naturally occurring thing, like sex hormones are naturally occurring in women. So, okay. Somehow the Victorians who missed the mark in so many ways misinterpreted normal female sexuality and deemed it this serious medical condition. But this is kind of funny. The antidote, to this condition, the treatment, what doctors would do to treat the hysteria. They found this to be super effective in calming down women and relieving them of this medical condition. They would give the affected women a pelvic massage. So (laughs) yes, they would literally finger their clients. Doctors first used their hands, but then created these devices that would become the world's first vibrator and gave women who had this hysteria pelvic massages to treat it, which is so creepy and weird. And according to this article that I found by The Embryo Project, if the female patient became flushed and relieved during the pelvic massage treatment for hysteria, Physicians explained that she was experiencing this thing called a hysterical paroxysm, which is now known as an orgasm. Physicians apparently provided these pelvic massages for thousands of years, guys, to female patients without it being considered erotic or sexual at all. I'm just picturing someone laying down, being strapped to a table with like handcuffs because they're apparently crazy, right? For having these normal sexual tendencies and like forcing them to have an orgasm in front of other people. It's so gross and weird and just oh, horrible. Literally taking all of the fun out of orgasms and having sex for pleasure. Just leave it to the Victorians to make it weird. Anyway, according to some articles I found, these early vibrators, as I said, were not like The rabbits and the cute little pink vibrators that we have today, they were actually the unsexiest things imaginable. One of them, which was patented in 1869, was called the manipulator, which is such a strange name, was steam powered and so loud when it was turned on that you couldn't hear people talking above the noise. Patients would sit on a padded table that had a hole cut out of it to reveal their lower abdomen, through which a vibrating sphere massaged from underneath. The manipulator was massive in size. It was heavy, it was expensive, and coal-powered, so women would have to schedule appointments and visit spas or doctor's offices to get access to it. And now we have vibrators in the drawers of our bedside tables. Interestingly enough, guys, this is one of my favorite facts from researching this. The early vibrator was the fifth home appliance to benefit from electricity, right after the toaster, fan, tea kettle, and sewing machine. There was the vibrator. And funny enough, this actually preceded the vacuum cleaner. Like, the vibrator came before the vacuum cleaner by nine years. (laughs) In the early 1880s, a physician named Mortimer Granville invented the first portable battery-powered vibrator that weighed over 40 pounds. However, Granville made it explicitly clear in 1883 when he wrote that he did not intend for his device to treat female hysteria aka cause orgasms, and he intended that its use was only for male muscle fatigue and other male symptoms. He was actually very adamant that he did not want women to use his device, which is just so messed up, but very, just very consistent with the times. As batteries became much smaller and the use of more and more home electronics began, ads for portable vibrators, as they were called, popped up in women's magazines, newspapers, and catalogs targeted at female buyers. And according to some articles I found, for men, the same sort of ads were in their magazines and their papers as well, but they claimed that they could treat muscle fatigue and arthritis, but for women, the ad said that the vibrating devices could function as a household appliance. And this kind of reminds me, or just makes me think of how today, advertisers will use modern targeting to display different ads for different people. Like the same brand will have an ad placement, but it'll say different things depending on where you are geographically or your age range, your gender, things like that. It's just, it reminds me of that, but in a less modern way. Like the different ads for the different genders and the different magazines, it just reminds me of that. Anyway, so as many of us know from an iconic scene in Sex and the City, featuring Samantha, obviously, vibrators for a long time were actually not marketed as being female pleasure related or any sort of sex related terminology. Obviously, they weren't marketed as vibrators for a very long time because of all the implications of that. They were generally labeled as neck massagers or blood stimulators. And it took until the 40s, actually, so bringing us to the 20th century, for proper conversations to start happening on the topic of female pleasure and female sexuality in general. The Kinsey Reports were huge bestsellers. They were led by this man named Alfred Kinsey. He released iconic surveys that made public a lot of shocking survey results, one being that almost half of women experienced their first orgasm through masturbation, which was likely very shocking to many people at the time. After all, this was the 40s when women were expected to sit pretty and be good little housewives and make kids and like that was all. So it actually took until 1952, which is just shocking for the American Psychiatric Association to scrap the diagnosis of hysteria, which as we know is total bullshit. 52, guys, 1952. And this happened only after a widespread change took place in society and understanding that this, quote, medical condition was actually describing something totally normal and healthy. And it wasn't until 1957 that the first medical research into female orgasms started as socially it was becoming less taboo and questionable for scientists to make this their field of study, which is just crazy. Obviously, hysteria, this diagnosis of hysteria lasted for so long because there just wasn't proper medical research, there wasn't any research happening. So obviously people were just like, okay, we'll just like stamp this on there and send them on their way. Like, oh, they're just just hysterical. Oh, those women, just hysterical. So one of these such medical research teams that emerged in 1957 was called Masters and Johnson, comprised of William H. Masters and Virginia E. Johnson. They pioneered research into the nature of human sexual response, the diagnosis and treatment of sexual disorders, and dysfunctions from 1957 until the 90s. And they conducted groundbreaking studies, guys. They examined how and why women orgasm ultimately paving the way for what we know today. And this didn't happen until 1957. So a little bit more about the research team, Masters and Johnson. There's actually this show or movie, maybe, called Masters of Sex, which is about them. I have to watch it. It seems really interesting. But anyway, so interesting. So they were a man and woman research team. In the beginning of their research, they weren't married to each other. But 15 years after the study began, William Masters eventually left his wife and married Virginia, his research partner. They ended up divorcing after a little while. But I assume that all that research into sexual things just turned a little bit romantic. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. But today, that brings us to today, guys. The subject of female orgasm is slowly becoming less taboo, but it's still a shocking topic to most. I mean, after all sex sells, people are both intrigued and mortified at the same time by people who are willing to be open about this super private And there's a lot of reasons why sex and orgasm and female orgasm is so taboo. I think a lot of it has to do with the lack of education that we have on the matter. I think in health classes, at least in my experience at a public high school, we talked about how babies were made and how different organs support reproduction and didn't necessarily talk about pleasure at all. I don't think we did. I really don't think we did because people didn't want like the the administration did not want to encourage us to have sex obviously because they didn't want it. They wanted it to be this super adult thing that we weren't ready for, not that many of us waited <laughs> to, you know until a very long to start experimenting with it or at least watching porn and things like people were so intrigued by it all and we just weren't given enough education on it in the place where we expected education to happen we decided to self-educate and that resulted in a lot of pain for some people and a lot of misinformation in a lot of accepting that we were just defective or weird because we couldn't orgasm and we didn't even know what an orgasm felt like or what it was. We didn't even know if we had done it before. There was just so much, so much murkiness in terms of what is sex? What is sex really? There was just so many questions and not a lot of answers that we should have received, I think. I think that education should shift to educate people on sex and when is sex consensual? What does it mean to have consensual sex? What does it mean to, like, I get it. It's kind of a fine line because you don't want to encourage kids to have sex before they're ready, but also you don't want to leave them in the dark either. So it's a really fine line. I don't know how we do it in a way that, that you know, hurts the least amount of people. I don't know. But I do think it took me way too freaking long. Maybe college is the time to educate on that. I don't know, maybe make a required class because it took me a while even in college to fully wrap my head around what it meant to orgasm and like how to make it happen. Like I had a lot of unsuccessful sexual encounters before it happened and I thought that I was the problem. I thought that I was defective. So anyway, sex and orgasms should be discussed more it should come out from the shadows and be a public discussion for those people who want to talk about it. I get not everyone wants to, not everyone's interested in these subjects, but for those of us who are, there should be more on this. After researching this today, I've realized that there really is just not enough out there. There's regurgitated information on many different websites and just the same thing said over and over again and just stated as fact, but people don't often give their firsthand first-hand experiences or share any sort of fears they have publicly I've seen articles in like Cosmo Etc that have like these pseudonyms is that what it is like a, a pseudonym where it's not your real name a pen a pen name I don't know what they're called I just I can't think of the word right now I'm, it might be pseudonym but people like don't sign their real names they aren't like they, they could be fake people I for a long time I always thought that those like letters to the editor things were fake. (laughs) And they just like come up with juicy stories and put like a fake name. Anyway, it's slowly, slowly, slowly becoming less taboo, but it's still shocking. I mean, it's this super normal thing. People are having sex. Kids are not just appearing out of nowhere, dropped onto the face of the earth by storks, we know that. So why is it weird to discuss this super normal thing? Maybe because of comparison, because you're worried that maybe yours isn't as good as another couple's, or maybe yours might be clouded in shame, like you having sex is clouded in shame because it's a one night stand or something and it somehow is worth less than someone who's in a happy relationship. Like maybe even deep down, we still associate being public about sex without shame, like, it's kind of similar to prostitution. Being careless with our bodies, as people say, that that is kind of what being open about your sexuality, just, you know, posting yourself, like, on OnlyFans. People are like, oh, you're just giving yourself for free and like, blah, 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 whatever. I mean, obviously it's not for free, but you're giving yourself up and not valuing yourself and whatever. I mean, it's all just a lot of opinions from people who don't seem to be sharing much of themselves but have a lot to say about other people, you know? I'm not sure. All I know is, is I'm not afraid to talk about it. I am not afraid to talk about these things that I wish that I'd heard about earlier because it would have saved me a lot of heartbreak, personal heartbreak, myself breaking my own heart forcing myself to do things I wasn't happy to do or didn't want to do because I just wanted to see what it would be like because no one had ever told me. And I also thought that I was having a lot of great sex when I really wasn't. Anyway, I think it'll do us a lot of good in this world to be honest with others and it will get us closer to the truth because Our ancestors have been through it, (laughs) through being called crazy, women that have come before us being considered hysterical for having these normal sexual desires. They walked so we could run. So here we are. We should be running. We should be sharing our truths and not being afraid to talk about these normal, normal things, okay? And stop faking orgasms, okay? It just continues the cycle of men thinking that they're great in bed when they're not, do it for the women that might come after you okay if you're not doing it for the man <laughs> do it for the women who might come after you okay like not after you like they're running after you and just the people that he might hook up li- with later after after you does that make sense okay I'm gonna stop talking now I have to go I'm going to get my booster <laughs> actually I'm going to get my booster of moderna get my second or third shot now third shot now oh like moving my arm as much as I can right now because I know I won't be able to tomorrow. <laughs> anyway, guys, I will talk to you all in next week's episode. Merry Christmas if you celebrate. Happy holidays to everybody. And I hope you guys have some great sex this holiday season. Okay, Bye.